is a free download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at the Bank St. Sampson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. Bibles turn to James chapter 1 for me and uh, we're going to continue looking at this book of James we started last week we're going to continue looking at it over the next few sessions so James chapter 1 verses 12 to 18 okay blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Amen. Okay, so, eyes to the screen. Um, I'm just going to show you a little clip uh, called The Marshmallow Test. Very good, the marshmallow test. I don't know how, how would you have responded to the marshmallow test? When I was watching that second time just then, I was thinking, actually, I'm not sure whether that's a test of temptation or a test of torture. Like, I'm not sure what, <laughs> what that is. Um, I'm sure we would have responded in different ways. But temptation is defined as a desire to engage in short-term urges for enjoyment that threatens long-term goals. Or I've heard someone once say, trading what you want most for what you want now. So the desire of the children, their ultimate desire was to have the two marshmallows, wasn't it? That's what they wanted. That's, that's their goal. But they also wanted the one right before them that was in their eye line. What, 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 you know, what would they do? Would they stick to what was most important to having two marshmallows, that was a long-term goal, and wait and resist the one, or would they take the one and then miss out on having two. Some managed it, didn't they, just? Some managed, but after giving the one marshmallow a good little sniff, and a lick, and a bit of a nibble, (laughs) um, and then there was the little girl, she didn't even try, did she? (laughs) Went for it, that's it, I'm not waiting, I'm going to take this marshmallow. Great little illustration there for us of temptation that James mentions in this passage. The marshmallow of temptation of our life is ever before us. And we know that if we can resist it, actually in the long term, in the long run, it will be better for us if we don't give in to that temptation or that wrong desire. But it's not easy. And sometimes we 
take a little sniff and we take a little nibble and sometimes we just give in completely, don't we, to the temptations that face us. It reminds me of this story, you might have heard it before, of the monkey fast. A group of monkeys decided to go on a fast one day. Before we begin, I think we should keep the food ready with which we'll break the fast, said the monkey chief. The monkeys nodded their heads in agreement. The youngsters were sent in search of food. They returned with huge bunches of delicious-looking bananas. I think each one of us should keep our share of bananas with us, ready before we begin our fast, so that we don't spend time distributing them after we break our fast. You can imagine how hungry we'll be by then, said the chief. The monkeys liked the idea, and they collected their share of the bananas. Why don't we peel the bananas and keep it ready to eat, said the chief. Let's do that. Okay, yes, let's do that, said all the monkeys. The chief now said, All right, we shall peel the bananas, but under no condition should we eat them. So the monkeys peeled their bananas and carefully kept them ready for eating in the evening. By this time, the monkeys' tongues started to water, and the plush, juicy fruit that was now revealed tempted them. The chief hurriedly said, Let us all put the banana in our mouth, but not swallow it. (laughs) This way, we can easily chew it immediately after we break the fast. And the monkeys happily put the bananas in their mouth. In no time, the bananas vanished, and the fasting was cooled off. (laughs) How often that can be a little bit like temptation for us. And when we think about the idea of temptation, I don't know what springs to your mind first of all. Maybe it's the obvious things in life. The temptation of perhaps eating too much, of trying desperately hard to resist the second helping of dessert, the extra slice of cake. Maybe it's the area of lust and areas of sexual pleasures. Maybe those are the things, the temptations that come to our mind straight away. But we're tempted, aren't we, by all sorts of things, actually, when you think about it. And at the heart, I suppose at the foundation of why we're tempted, lie the seven deadly sins. We talk about them. Pride, envy, gluttony and lust, anger, laziness and greed. They're deemed the seven deadly sins. Why? Because actually they're pretty much at the heart of most things that we do wrong or that we desire wrong or that we're tempted by. These things so often cause us temptation. Maybe a temptation to criticise somebody. A temptation to speak in a way we shouldn't speak or tempted to entertain gossip. Maybe tempted to be angry and to hold bitterness in our heart or tempted to display something towards someone that we shouldn't, should judge others. Tempted to be apathetic, not motivated at times. Tempted to whinge moan, complain, that's just my list right there, but I could go on. It's funny, isn't it, because um, you need to pray for me, because every time I I preach, I find that I will um, sort of have to undergo what I'm preaching. So this week, I feel like I've been bombarded by every temptation known to man. Last night, I confessed to you all that I gave in to temptation I'll leave it there. (laughs) 
I'll just leave you wondering what that was. You want to know, don't you? Oh, yes, somebody said it. <laughs> I baked some cakes yesterday. And I had one, and it was, if I don't, you know, don't mind saying, it was quite tasty. So I had to have another, of course. And another. But I'll leave it there. So, let's go back to James to see what he's saying to this group of Christians. The Jewish Christians, and I mentioned last week that they were being persecuted. That they were in a really tough time. They had been displaced, they'd been dispersed, they'd been scattered all over. And they were now living in different places, in different countries. And they were undergoing some real trials. And James is writing to them and he's trying to help them and he's trying to encourage them and he's trying to give them some good advice. So in verse 13 it says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, and I'm just going to stop there to begin with, let no one say when he is tempted. See, first James acknowledges this. He acknowledges that the people are going to be tempted. It's not an if, but it's a when. It's going to happen. It's not if you get tempted, guys, but when you get tempted. And I think that's the message to us today. That it's not if we get tempted, we will get tempted. It's going to happen. And it's for us to be reminded that temptation itself is not the thing that is wrong. It's not the thing that is sinful. We will be tempted. It's where it can lead us. That is the problem and the difficulty. We only have to look at the Bible and we see all the Bible greats. They all suffered with temptation. They were all tempted at times. And they all gave in to temptation, bar one, and that was Jesus. Jesus was tempted, but he overcame the temptation. But the others, when we look at their lives, they were tempted in many different ways. And sometimes they resisted it and other times they didn't. And James is warning the Jewish Christians here of the danger of temptation when in the midst of adversity, when in the midst of suffering and trial and persecution. James is saying to them, look, just be careful when you're going through this tough stuff because temptation is going to come your way. You know, when we're struggling, when we might be low, we need to be even more careful because perhaps we'll be tempted in ways that we're not usually tempted. I mean, we'll all have different things and I'm not going to ask you to turn to the person next to you and say your temptations, all right? You'll be relieved to know. But we'll all have different things we'll struggle with. Our mind will be one thing, yours might be another. But when we're going through tough stuff, sometimes we find there, when we're a bit low and it's a bit difficult, that we can be tempted by stuff that ordinarily we wouldn't really be tempted by. You know, we might not be tempted to react negatively or in an angry way to people. But if someone's persecuting us, if someone's having a go at us, if someone's being negative towards us, then it's difficult. And we may be tempted to say something actually we would regret. We may be tempted to react in a way that we probably shouldn't react in. When we're put under pressure, it can be difficult. And James is saying to them, look guys, be careful, just be on your guard here. Because, you know, when you're in the trials and tribulations and the struggles, you're going to be tempted And what I think is really important for us to remember is that James clearly states this, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So God is not the one who is tempting us. He himself cannot be tempted by evil. He won't tempt us because there is no trace of evil within him. And it's important for us to remember that. God wants us to be pure. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to flourish. He wants us to be, um, you know, great disciples of him. So he's not going to come and, and tempt us 
Actually, the Bible says he will try and provide a way out for us so that we can escape the temptations. So what is the origin then of our temptation? Well, James goes on further to explain. He says in verse 14 this, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. It's our own desires within. And the word that James uses for desire is in connection to a desire or longing that will lead to wrong things, not good desires that lead to good things. But how often, maybe, in, at times when we're tempted and we do stuff wrong, we are quick to blame other people or other things or other circumstances. Blaming factors outside of ourselves. Well, it was the other person's fault. I was pressured into it. I couldn't help it. Everybody's doing it. It's just a mistake. And nobody's perfect. The devil made me do it. Always looking to blame other things. And from the very outset of creation, you can see that we were prone to do this. Because it, the creation story shows us humanity. And right from the word go, Adam blames Eve and Eve blames the serpent. <laughs> Right? It's a great symbol for what we're like as humans. We're looking to other things to put blame on. When actually, James is saying, be careful folks, don't be deceived. We're tempted due to our own desires. And when we're tempted, who's the person in real danger? We're the ones in real danger. We're the ones that if we you know, give in to temptation, we will be captured by it. We will be entrapped by it. We will be the ones that have to pick up the pieces. We're the ones that are enticed and ultimately trapped because wrong desire leads to wrong actions. Giving in to temptation will then lead to sin. Verse 15 says, And the desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. It's pretty powerful. Giving in to temptation might feel really good in the moment. I just wanted to get off my chest and say it. It might feel really good in the moment, but actually, it's not long till we feel bad about it. It's not long till we feel regretful about it. And sometimes even we can do stuff that has the most devastating consequences and effect because of what we've done. Acting on wrong desire leads to us being taken to wrong Places And the greatest danger that James is pointing out to the people is not what they're going through. It's not the persecution or the suffering or the trial. James is saying, actually, the greatest danger is what you do during that. It's how you act. It's how you behave. It's whether you can resist the temptation of maybe doing the wrong thing. So what do we need to do? How can we heed James's um, advice here and his warning? A couple was struggling to make ends meet after building their dream home. One day they went shopping and the husband went to the men's clothing section and the wife to the women's section. A little later, the wife came out with a £300 receipt for a dress she bought. How could you do this? the husband asked. I was outside the store looking at the dress in the window... This is what happens, ladies. And then I found myself trying it on, she explained. It was like Satan was whispering in my ear, you look fabulous in that dress, buy it. Well, the husband replied, you know how I deal with that kind of temptation. 
I would say, get behind me, Satan. The wife said, I did, I did. But then he said, it looks fabulous from the back here too. (laughs) If only it were that simple. If only when we're faced with temptation to do whatever, we could say, get behind me, Satan, and it'll all be all right. But it's not that easy at times, is it? So what should we do? We probably know what we need to do, but sometimes we just need reminding. Firstly, I think we need to acknowledge our weaknesses, the things that we struggle with, to acknowledge it and be honest about it. We're good at times, aren't we, of kind of not facing up to things in our life, not facing up to areas of our life where we struggle with. Perhaps because we're embarrassed, perhaps because it might bring shame, we wouldn't want people to know that about us. And therefore, we don't acknowledge that it's there. I've got a cupboard like this at home. It's one of those cupboards where behind the closed doors, chaos reigns. Okay? You might have a cupboard like that in your home. I hope so. It make me feel better. Every time I open the cupboard, it really stresses me out that it's so chaotic. And once I've you know, got through all the mess that's just fallen on top of me... Um, I still just push everything back in the cupboard and then quick close the doors. I just stuff everything in there. And when the doors are closed, I can forget about it. I choose not to acknowledge that there's chaos behind the closed doors. I choose to just go, it's all right. No one will see it. It's fine. But it's not fine. Not if you want to carry that metaphor into our lives. How often we just push things behind the closed doors and we'll close it, it's fine. Nobody will know, it's fine. I'll leave my weakness and my struggle there. But of course what happens is we go back to it, we open the doors and there's a deluge of stuff all over us and we're in chaos again. We have to be honest. We have a tendency to sin because we're human. We get tempted And we're going to be prone to giving in to temptation. Whether it's lust and whether it's greed, whether it's materialism or gluttony, negativity, being judgmental, gossiping, I I could go on. But we need to identify what we struggle with because it's when we identify that we can actually start doing something about it. We can actually face up to it and say, okay, I realise I've got that in my life. I need to do something. I realise I've got a weakness for cake. I'm not going to bake anymore. (laughs) That would be sensible. You know, if if you're somebody who's insecure and you know that actually what's important to you is to be liked and to be accepted and, and to fit in, then when you're in a group of people and they're doing stuff that you might not want to do, you're going to be tempted to join in with that if you've got that insecurity because you want to fit in. And you suffer from that peer pressure. But if we recognise it and we know that, perhaps we can do something about it. Maybe not put ourselves in that place or think about how we would deal with it before we get there. You know, you really suffer that when you're a young person. But I know we suffer it too now as adults. But I remember as a young person, you know, you're just so desperate, desperate to fit in and be accepted with your peers. that you end up doing stuff that you know you shouldn't or that you don't even want to. But you you want to be liked. You want to be accepted. Admitting our struggles, admitting 
our weaknesses. If we're tempted by lust, if we're tempted by pornography, which, let's face it, our world today is just full of. Okay, we're living in a world which, you know, we can access anything. It's one click away. It's one click away. And perhaps something like that is pretty big. Something like that we might not want to acknowledge because we feel bad about it. We feel ashamed about it. We feel guilty. Therefore, I'll just put it in the cupboard and I'll close the doors and I'll forget about it. But when we open the cupboard doors, it's going to come back on us. I know talking about the porn industry might be a bit taboo. But, you know, it's one of the biggest industries now. And it's something that many, many, many people struggle with. And James warns us that the wrong desire will lead to sin and it will entrap us. That's the problem. That's the difficulty. I mean, the fact that the industry itself is, you know, bad because it's trafficking people and manipulating people, all that to just one side for a moment. The fact is, is that these things that we give into entrap us and they rob us of our joy and they rob us of all sorts of things. You know, it's been proven that... um, Pornography will damage existing relationships that we have with people. It will damage our future relationships. They're saying young people have a real problem now of forming really good and healthy relationships because of it. It will affect our marriages. All these different things and it will make us feel bad. And so that is what the problem is when we give in to these things. We get entrapped by it and ultimately sin will lead to death. So what do we do? We have to acknowledge that we might have a difficulty with that, a weakness with that, a problem with that, so then we can do something about it. You know, if that's an area of weakness, then perhaps it would be a really, really good thing, you know, that everything that you look at online or everything that you look at on your phone, your partner can see, or you have an accountability person that can see it all and knows it all. I know a lot of people that do that. So it would just stop you from looking at anything that would be wrong to look at. But putting things in place in our life to help us, because actually, if we don't, who's suffering? James says it's us. We suffer. We get entrapped by it. We get enslaved by these things. And it will affect us and it will affect other people. Short-term pleasures, threatening long-term goals, trading um, trading what we want now for what we really, really want in the future. And God's not a killjoy. You know, when I was younger growing up, um, you know, I'd be tempted by all sorts of things. And there were some sins that I used to think, I just want to do that. (laughs) Why can't I do that? It seemed like I was missing out on things. But actually, that's not it, is it? As we mature, we realise that's not it. God's not like that. God just knows what's best for us because he created us and he designed us. And he knows how we will live best and what will bring freedom and what will bring goodness and joy into our life. It's not someone there going, oh, you've messed up. I'm going to punish you. I love the word today, God speaking, that Polly shared. You know, God's not there going, you know, oh, you've messed up. You've done that. There you go. Here you go again. No, no, no. He's like a parent who's looking at us and going, oh, don't do that. Don't do that because I know what's best for you. And I really love you. And I want you to go down this path, not that path, because I know where that's going to lead you. And his heart must break at times when we do stuff. And he's thinking, that's not great. 
I'm sure it's like those who are parents when you look at children and, and you can see your child making wrong choices or wrong decisions and it breaks your heart and you go, I just wish that you could change and alter. It's not that I'm really cross with you or I'm going to punish you, but I just know that's not the best for you. And you've got to sit back and watch them make those mistakes. And I think that's a little bit what God's like for us. He's saying, look, you know, there's all this stuff and you get tempted by stuff. And if you give into it and you do that, I just, think it's, I just don't think that's going to be best for you. And I want you to live in freedom. So I think it's great if we can acknowledge our struggles and weaknesses. We can tell someone about it maybe. Put things in place to help us. Secondly, I think we need to recognise that what we feed and what we nurture will continue to grow. What we feed and what we nurture will continue to grow. This principle, of course, makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Now, I'm not very green-fingered. I know I've said this before to you. And so what tends to happen to plants in my house is that they die. And uh, you might ask why, and the simple answer is that I starve them. And I don't intentionally mean to starve them, but it sort of happens. And I forget to water my plants. And maybe I, because I have no idea about them, I don't give them enough sunlight or I don't give them enough shade and they sort of wither up. So what I've learned is this. If I feed my plants, they grow. As if by magic. It's not rocket science, isn't it? You know, if I give my plants water, they're going to flourish. If I give them sunlight, they're going to flourish. If we have something in our lives... If there's something we struggle with, some sort of temptation, and we feed it, it will grow. That's what's going to happen. The more I give in to eating cake, the more cake I'm going to want. The more I've normalised cake eating, the more likely cake will have a hold of me. And giving up cake is extremely hard. Now, you can substitute whatever you want in there, okay? The more we do it, the more it becomes normal, the more likely it will have a hold over us, and the harder it will be to give it up, whatever it is. The principle happens with everything. So not only is it about starving that which we want to get rid of in our life and not feeding it, but it's about feeding the things we do want in our life, the things we do want to increase in our life, giving our attention to those things, I think most of us probably, because of the very nature that you're here, you want your love for God to increase. You want your love for other people to increase. So how should we go about doing that? How should we feed that so that gets bigger? Well, we feed it quite simply by spending time with God, reading his word, praying to him, by attending services on a Sunday, prayer meetings, connect groups, being with God's people. It will help influence us and shape us. So if we feed that, that is more likely to increase in our life. It always makes me smile when people say, I don't need to be part of a church community to be a Christian. And of course, you don't. You don't have to be part of a church community like this to be a Christian. You can be a Christian without that. You don't have to at all. However, my thought is always this. Why wouldn't you want to be? Why wouldn't you want to be part of a church community if you're able to be part of a community? Now, you might look to the person next to you and go, hmm, that's why. Please don't do that. (laughs) 
there's loads of people I know who can't be in a church community. They can't get here for physical reasons. They'd love to be here, but they just can't be for all sorts of things. There's barriers. I know that. But if you can, if you can be part of this, why wouldn't you want to be? Because the Christian journey, in my mind, is hard enough. It's hard enough sometimes. And I want all the help and support I can get. I need this place. I need you. I need a regular place to go, to connect with God, because I know what I'm like. I know my weaknesses, and I know my struggles. I know I'm not good on my own. I know, left to my own devices, I'd be all over the shop. I'd be into all sorts of things. I'd be living a compromised life. I need to stay connected. I need to stay plugged in. I need you guys to help me be a better disciple. Getting involved in the life of the church with God's people. Obviously, it's a way to express our love for him and get closer to him. But it helps us to feed the things that we want to grow and develop most in our lives. Feeding our love for God with the community of believers, feeding our God with the things of God, will help. What you feed grows. What you starve dies. Thirdly, recognise this. It's re- it really is a trade not worth making. It really is a trade not worth making. There's an interesting story in Genesis, I'm sure you know it well, about two brothers, Jacob and Esau. I'll just summarise it quickly. Esau's the older one, Jacob's the younger one. Esau's set to inherit everything. He's got a birthright. He's going to have the position, he's going to have the status, he's going to have all the wealth, he's going to have all the land because he's the firstborn. Esau's been in the field, he's been working really, really hard. He comes home and Jacob is there and Jacob has a pot of stew, of lentil stew. And Esau is famished and Esau says to Jacob, Jacob, just give me some of that stew. I'm absolutely starving to death here. Will you just give me some? Jacob's a little bit crafty. Jacob's a little bit sneaky. And Jacob says to Esau, I'll give you some if you give me your birthright. I'll give you some of this stew if you give me your inheritance and your birthright. And Esau says, okay. And so Esau swears to Jacob that he will give Jacob his birthright and his inheritance for this pot of stew. And that's what happens. And Esau has the stew and Jacob gets the blessing, gets the inheritance. Now we think about that story, we listen to it, and um, we might be thinking, that's very silly of Esau. How foolish to trade everything, your whole future, your birthright, for this one bowl of stew. That sounds quite ridiculous. And we might think to ourselves, well, I wouldn't have done that. I'd never do that. And maybe we wouldn't in that context, but perhaps when we give into temptation, sometimes it's a little bit like that. We're a little bit like Esau, trading something really great for just something in the immediate. Perhaps we hold on to to our anger instead of resisting it, and it eats away at us, it cripples us. And we've traded the peace that God would want to give us for that. It could be something else. It could be we're tempted to stay in a place of unforgiveness, in a place of bitterness, when we could be living in God's freedom. And we've traded that great freedom for that feeling. How many of us are tempted to compare ourselves, to look at other people's lives, 
seeing what other people are doing. Maybe when you look at social media and all these different things these days and see what our friends have and we feel insecure about it and we feel discontent. What we're doing there is we're trading the contentment that God wants to give us and looking at what God's really blessed us with and the gifts that he has given us for this discontentment, for this comparison to others. Perhaps we look at another person. We look at someone lustfully. They become the object of our desire and we trade the joy and the happiness of a lifelong marriage with the joy of seeing our children and and grandchildren perhaps and we trade all that, that family unit for a short-term pleasure because the grass looked greener. Get my point. Temptation presents itself. The red stew, the lentil stew is there before us and in a moment it might look like the best thing. In a moment it might look like the most satisfying thing but in a moment we can lose our birthright. Just in a moment. It really isn't a trade worth making. But you know what? And I'm going to draw to an end. You know, we've all been in that situation, I'm sure, an Esau situation, and we will be, and we will face temptation, and we will continue to. And sometimes, I'm sure, there are times when we've resisted it, and we've been strong, and it's been okay. There are other times when we haven't, and we've given into it. But what I love about this passage in James is it continues. And let's read verse 16 to 18. It says this, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You see, we're told that wrong desire leads to sin, And sin leads to death. That's what we're taught. That's what we know. But James reassures us that in the same way we're not to be deceived about our own weakness and our own evil that we have, we too are not to be deceived into thinking that God is not good. God is good. And sin that leads to death is not, for us, a loss of our salvation. No, why? Because God has intervened, hasn't he? God has intervened to give us a different birth, a birth of life, a birth of a new creation. God gives good gifts. He brings regeneration. And so because of Christ, our sin, our failings actually don't take us to death. Although that's where sin leads, ultimately, it doesn't lead there for us because Jesus has intervened and we've accepted Jesus into our life. And so we have salvation And it's free, it's not earned. And however far we go from God, whatever mess we get into, he will redeem us and he will bring us back to himself. And that's not through our doing, but it's his doing alone. You see, God doesn't change. With with whom, it says in the Bible, there is no variation or shadow due to change. He doesn't change his mind on us. Just because we've done something, just because we've given in to temptation, just because it's led us in the wrong place and we've done the wrong thing, God doesn't turn his back on us. He doesn't give up on us. He's our loving Father and he says, Oh, that's not what I had for you. It's not the best for you. Come on back to me. I'll restore you. I'll redeem you. I'll forgive you. Let's start again. And that's the beautiful, beautiful thing, that our wrongdoing and our sin doesn't lead us down the path of death because we have Jesus who gave his life for us to be forgiven. And today, you know what? 
There's a lot in that message and we might be in different places. Today we might need to just say, God, actually, you know what, I really need to acknowledge the struggle, acknowledge the weakness perhaps I have in my life and perhaps I need to do something about it. Perhaps we need to be really practical and say, I need, I need help with this. What am I going to put in my life? What barriers? Who am I going to talk to about this? Am I going to have somebody who I can be accountable to? It might be really practical, our response to today's message. It might be that we need to think, yeah, I'm going to need to stop feeding that thing and actually start feeding and the thing that I want to grow. And the thing I want to grow is my love for God and my love for others. So I'm going to put things in place that is going to feed that more. Maybe we need to say, God, I'm really sorry. I've messed up. I need your forgiveness. I need to come back to you again. It's okay to be tempted. We're going we're gonna to suffer that. But God is with us. And when we stuff up, and when we fail and we make mistakes, God is there to redeem us and bring, bring us back. He's got his open arms for us because he loves us. I'm going to ask the worship group to um, come back. We're going to end um, with just a final song. Before we do that, I'm going to pray a prayer. And I'm not asking you to say this prayer out loud, but I'm asking you, if you want to, to just pray it within, to pray it in your heart. And to speak to God about the things we face, the struggles. We've all got them. Like I said this week, I absolutely think I've probably faced every temptation known to man. We struggle with things, okay? But God's with us and he's faithful to us. And he will help us. It says he'll provide a way out for us. So if you want to, why don't you pray this prayer with me? Jesus, I try hard not to stumble in my walk of faith, but you know the temptations that I face today. I experience desires that lead me away from you. Sometimes the temptation seems too strong for me. The desires seem too powerful to resist. I need your help in this battle. I cannot walk alone, Lord. I need your guidance. My flesh is weak. Please help me. Fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit to give me strength. I cannot make it without you. Your word promises that I will not be tempted beyond what I can bear. I ask for your strength to stand up against temptation each and every time I encounter it. Help me to stay awake spiritually so that temptation won't catch me by surprise. I want to always pray so that I won't be dragged away by evil desires. Help me keep my spirit well fed with your holy word so I remember you are living in me. And you are greater than every power of darkness and sin that is in the world. Lord, you overcame Satan's temptations. You understand my struggle. So I ask for the strength you had when facing temptation in the wilderness. Don't let me be dragged away by my own desires, but let my heart obey your word. Your word tells me you'll provide a way of escape from temptation. Please, Lord, give me the wisdom to walk away when I am tempted and the clarity to see the way out that you'll provide. 
Thank you, Lord, that you are faithful and I can count on your help in my time of need. Thank you for being here for me. In the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk.